I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, I'm Alex McLaren. I'm an actor and I've worked as a communications coach since 2002. Now so much business is being conducted remotely, the ways in which we talk, present, build relationships and connect is changing. In this podcast, I want to explore all those issues and prove to you that no matter who you are, you can talk to anyone. Hello and welcome to You Can Talk to Anyone, the podcast in which we open the bonnet on our communications engine. I'm Alex. I'm Deborah. And I'm Tom. And welcome to uh, episode one. And in episode one, we're going to be talking about first impressions. <laughs> this often comes up as a challenge for people in our work we do with people in companies. And the one question I just want to ask you guys is, do you believe in love at first sight? Oh, I believe in lust at first sight, for sure. Um, I definitely believe in chemistry at first sight. And I think it's easier if you have that instant chemistry. And I will say three times in my life, there have been people I have met to whom I have been instantly magnetically drawn. In no cases have been romantic or sexual, but those people have all been very important players in my life, instantly wanted to spend a lot of follow-up time with me and I them. And as our stories unfurled over the following year or two, it would always turn out that we had something deep and <laughs> in this case, traumatic in our past around religion and oppression and family issues and things like that uh, in common, but that didn't come out till later. So that feeling of being drawn to each other was based on something. And sometimes you have to spend time exploring what that thing is. So that's what I believe in. I believe that whenever I have that connection with someone now where I go, oh, wow, there's something going on here, I think look for the reason that's underneath. So what can you do if you don't feel that instant connection? What can you do to try and increase your chances of making a good first impression without that kind of backstory? Yes. <laughs> Either being sensed or later revealing itself. Yes, yeah, so it's a good, important question because what Deborah's describing there is that sort of serendipitous moment that you have as you assemble your people around you. And you're, you're, it's almost like you think back to... There was, a, there was something magic there with those individuals. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, 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 what you're saying about people who are different from us is really significant to me because I'm thinking of friends I have who I actually, <laughs> there's one friend I'm thinking of who, when we first met, I thought, oh, you know, this is, this is not good. We have nothing in common at all. Um, and then that turns out to be wrong, that actually that, the, that it's almost like the second and third impression, which is when the friendship gets built, or maybe the experiences are had together, which are then the foundation for that connection. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm, at, at, when people are coming to us with this challenge about first impressions, they're basically thinking about, oh, God, I need to make a good first impression in this situation. And it sometimes goes wrong. So let me ask you this, Alex. Um, 
all other things being equal, would you rather be feeling like you have to make a good first impression and feeling like you are the host and you're welcoming someone else into your space? Or would you rather be the guest and someone else is assuming the role of host? And obviously, Deborah, if you've got an answer as well, that would also be interesting. Let me check in with Alex first. Yeah, I think I'm happy. I'm a a happy guest, I think. Um, uh, But I think that's because I have been a host. I think I talk about sometimes I I feel party fear as a host because I want to make sure that people feel safe and comfortable in my house. Um, when I'm a guest in somebody else's house, I, some of that responsibility is off my shoulders and all I have to do is to be a, a good guest. Um, and I find that, I think, easier. I'm a definite host. Uh, when I found my biological family and I was going to, I'd never met anyone related to me. I'd spoken to them on Facebook, a little bit on the telephone. And uh, I was going to New Zealand to meet them for the first time. This was in 2013. A friend of mine said to me, let them host. <laughs> I know what you're going to want to do. You're going to want to make it all right for them. Yeah. You're going to be on yes. the front foot. You're going to be in your stand-up com- comedy persona a little bit, making everyone feel welcome and comfortable mm. and and let them host. Yeah. And I thought that's a really good note. Let them, it's their home. It's their family. You're entering into it. Sit back, let them make overtures, let them offer you things. Uh, don't feel you have to do all the emotional work and the social work. And I really took that on board. Yeah. Um, and I think I am much stronger in the host position. I think in the guest position, I can probably be overwhelming to people. Mm. It's so funny. I was thinking uh, uh, what, what disaster stories could I tell about first impressions? And, <laughs> <laughs> and this one, which relates a little bit to what you're saying, Deborah, I, I, I was having this relationship once um, and I'd heard a lot about her family. And uh, she didn't particularly get on with it. It was quite a complicated family. Um, and, and after a while, it became really necessary for me to meet them. And I can't quite remember the details, but we ended up going out for lunch. Me and her mum and her mum's boyfriend. So it is a little bit like this family thing Oof. that you're describing. Mm. Yeah, well, the stakes are incredibly high. And so obviously, I felt under pressure in that I, <laughs> I felt quite protective of my girlfriend at the time. But I also have these family members to, to please. I mean, it's such a really, really high stakes. Anyway, I definitely, I messed it up. I, what I remember, the bit I remember vividly is at the end was trying to pay and trying to buy lunch mm. for these people. Um, and I, I think it must have read as some kind of power grab for mm. me to pay for lunch with uh, people who are a generation ahead of me. Oh, that's a classic me you know? move. Classic me <laughs> move. And, 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 I, and I knew in, as it was happening, I thought, oh no, I've, I've really misstepped here. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I then had the experience of somebody telling me how rude and arrogant I was to my face. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, uh, so you're this is, pretty sure you didn't make a good first impression there. I'm pretty <laughs> sure about that, yeah. And, and, and I think I, I want to tell this story purely because um, I think it's inevitable that we have screw-ups, okay, even mm. in relatively functional social patterns. And because we have those experiences from which we learn, and not ones that we just go away and kind of like sort of beat ourselves up about for the rest of our lives, but the penny does drop. Okay, I think that was the problem in that situation. Mm. But it's these high stakes moments. I think that is part of what of our anxiety about first impressions. It's often, okay, my first day as a member of a new group. So your first day at school, your 
I notice that often people want to transform themselves when they move into new situations. And so they feel they can make a different impression. People change their names when they go to university. Mm. One of the um, profoundly weird things about the pandemic has been people joining new mm. jobs, new workforces, yes. without being able to physically meet people. You know, when you start a new job, everyone says hello to you and you're shown to your desk and someone will say, do you want to come for lunch or we're going for drinks after work? And you get all that stuff. So you start to be assimilated. You start to be able to bond with everybody. Can you imagine having to do that over Zoom? Well, it's, it's just impossible. And in fact, I've had clients say to me in the last year during Zoom training sessions, oh, yes, I was recruited in the pandemic. I've done all of my work from my desk at home. But then last week I had my first day at work and I met these people <laughs> whose faces I've seen. But it's different when you're there in person. Oh, gosh, you're tall <laughs> is, a, uh, yes. is a thing that people are saying Especially. or hearing for the first time. Well, here's a question I have is the difference between making a first impression at a networking event mm. where nobody really knows anyone or there might be little pockets of people who know each mm. other and turning up as the new boyfriend or girlfriend of a, a, a really tight friendship circle where they've all got nicknames and you use one of the nicknames too soon. <laughs> or or so so what I would like to mm. I would I would sort of posit what is this most like, this situation? We, well, is it in some ways a bit easier because lots of people were recruited in that mm, time. Yes. So that now you're going into a place that's a little bit more like uh, a friendly bar where some people know each other, but it's not weird if you don't know anyone. And uh, well, I've never met her either, as opposed to first day of school at a new school where everyone else is already in a tight gang. So there might be some advantages if you are merging into your new workspace as one of a few or many new recruits during the Zoom era mm. because you might have an opportunity to be more of an architect of the space as opposed to I'm going into something that is absolutely dead set in concrete. You, we all have got those groups where that dynamic is absolutely set and yeah. it's hard. And you're a different sort of person. Mm. I'm a different sort of person with my you know, oldest girlfriends when we go out for cocktails, I club up. I know everyone's going to be wearing something a bit fun and I'll put on my fanciest pair of shoes. I'll tell different jokes. Mm. So is it possible that if you are now turning up into a space that actually was dismantled because of COVID, mm -hmm. you get to be one of the architects. You get yeah. to redesign this space from scratch, but you do know people and you do know some things about them. And you have got a good working relationship with some of them, but now you need to make that 3D and in person. So you could, I think, use that opportunity to say, huh, they say you never get a second chance to make a first impression. Mm. Have you heard that? Yeah, yeah very yeah. much so. I think you do. Uh, well, I, was, I think this situation. I, you're absolutely right. I think firstly, this question about having only one shot, I think is really important because uh, I, I think one way to cope with the stress of the first impression pressure is to remember no, you will see them again and you have the opportunity to adjust and to alter the impression people have of you. It's quite interesting. The first impressions was the name of the first draft of Jane Austen's famous novel, Pride and Prejudice. Okay. Interesting. Um, and uh, <laughs> I mean, I also think about it in terms of modern publishing. We talk about the first impression of a book being mm -hmm. the, the best printing of it, mm -hmm. because later when they get those plates out and use it again, they will have worn it off. And so it feels like the first impression is it's never going to be as good as that. Mm -hmm. um, it's never. So it's so if it's you make a bad first impression, you're working down from a bad first impression. Whereas actually that isn't what happens. You have opportunities to change it. I sometimes see people on 
um, competitive talent shows say this, this is my one chance, Simon. And when I hear that, I'm kind of going, well, I hope, I hope that isn't the only way you're thinking about this because this is not the only talent show. There They're bullied into saying that, Alex, because a friend of mine wouldn't say it and they, they said, well, you're not right for this <laughs> well, show. Well, this is it. Well, I, I she was like, oh, this is a terrible message. <laughs> this is my last chance. Well, it's, like, well, it's true, but I'm also wondering whether that actually I experience a lot of second chances because I'm part of a lot of very privileged groups and it may be that there are some people that don't experience that. Oh, don't worry, I've had other chances and so I will again. Maybe they haven't had enough of those opportunities so that pressure is much more acute. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. And it comes back to something we've said to our clients for years, which is stop trying so hard. Mm -hmm. If you feel that pressure, if you feel like this is my one chance to make a good first impression and you let that anxiety start to build up in you and you start trying your hardest and you start second guessing everything, you'll probably never find the chemistry that Deborah was talking about, even if it was there to be found, that you certainly won't be as relaxed and charming as you're capable of being. Yes, it's that, that issue of trying to prove something as well. Um, yeah. I mean, and when you are proving it. I had a friend once at college who said, no, no, I, it's awful for me. I'm, I'm, I'm quite impressive and clever when I first meet people. And it's just, it's downhill after that. Later on, they <laughs> oh, discover yes. that I'm really dim. Whereas actually, I've seen this. I've seen friends of mine be quite mediocre when they first meet people. And then later, they dazzle and impress. Want to give yourselves right. a headroom. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> give somewhere to go. Well, I have a friend who went, his father moved around a lot. I think he was a diplomat or something. So he w- went to a new school every year and he said, I make a dynamic first impression. <laughs> and after that, no, it drains away. I, all I know how to do is make a great first impression. I've got no follow through um, because I never hung around anywhere to yes. f- figure out how to form long lasting friendships or, you know, be valuable in year two. Um, <laughs> and so uh, I think a lot of us have different skills in this set. And I think there'll be lots of people listening to this who go, yep, relate to that, can make a great first impression and then find it quite awkward to follow up and say, let's have a lunch. Um, I think also I can make a great impression on stage, Mm. but then sometimes if I am trying to talk to two people in a bar who know each other very well, I think, oh, I'm being too much or, oh, Mm. I can't quite get in here. They already have their thing going on. And so I think it, it varies situation to situation where individuals listening to this might know they make good impressions. So some people say, I'm great with mums. You know, that mm. I've had, you know, every boyfriend I've ever had, they, the mums cried when we broke up. Mm. Um, I can absolutely work mums. Uh, but new bosses, I, I, oof, oof. and I think sometimes what's useful for me is figuring out in a process-driven way, what is it that I'm doing? in the situations in which I know that I'm coming across very well Mm. and people like me. Because if I can figure out the mechanics of it, when I am am in a situation of high anxiety, I can go, well, you know you're good with mums and you know what you do there is you tell them something wonderful about their son 
that's not sycophantic, then you ask her lots of questions. Mm. So here I am standing at a networking event. Can I, if I recognize the name on their badge of the company they work for, say, oh, I hear you're doing a very exciting project to do with uh, the merger. That's going to open them up. Oh, you've Mm. heard about me. People love hearing that. They love hearing you've heard about them. Mm. And then can you ask them questions? And I think one of the things you're doing there is you're taking responsibility for making this relationship get off to a good start. And I think that's in a way tricky because going back to the thing you were talking about when you just click with somebody, no one's having to consciously take responsibility. So I think we can sometimes be fooled into thinking if that doesn't happen magically by itself, it's never going to happen and something's gone wrong. But actually there are lots of situations where someone else is taking responsibility for you feeling okay. And I think one of the best ways you can overcome your own feeling of anxiety and uncertainty is to say, well, I'm going to be the one to take responsibility. You know, I can think of occasions when, for example, I've been running a training session and there's been uh, a delay. We're waiting for people to turn up. It's just me and the organizer stuck in a room. We've got nothing to talk about except the thing that we're here to talk about. And he or she seems a bit ill at ease and doesn't quite know how to keep the conversation going. Now, to be absolutely candid, this is not my idea of a good time. (laughs) This is not a situation where I'm at my best, but I will do everything I can think of to keep the kind of chat going, to find something we can talk about, anything at all, make a joke, no matter how Mm. dumb, no matter how poor, any sort of attempted humour that might be grasped with both hands, because it's my job to keep this going. And not only if I succeed, will this person feel better, I will feel better because I've given myself a task. Yes, and I think that's significant because I'm also, when you're describing that situation, you're noticing somebody else's state. Um, And that for me is really important. Tom, I really have noticed you get better at this. And I think that's encouraging for people who are listening because I think when you said this is not my natural home to be mm. stuck in a room with some person who I'm meant to make a good impression on. <laughs> and I think the way that you have done it is mostly you've changed your energy. Mm. I think the key to a lot of your charm now, which I, you know, I think when we first got together and listeners, if you don't know, Tom is the producer of the Guilty Feminist podcast, which is the podcast that I'm best known for, but also he's my husband. And I I see you charm waiters now and charm, you know, airline staff. And a lot of it is simply the energy in your voice. So you sound like there's this great intention. So it's the difference between somebody telling you something that's a sort of fact on a PowerPoint presentation and somebody telling you about that they've just discovered deep sea diving, you know, and like, oh my God, you've got to go down. It's amazing. So think about the energy you have in your voice when you talk about something you care about, whether that be you're showing people pictures of your kids, your football club, your, you know, a new band you've discovered. You just went on a yoga retreat. You can't wait to tell your friend because they're really into yoga. If you facsimile that energy, you just bang that energy into any sentence, you will appear to be good at making first impressions and connections. It doesn't really matter much what you're saying because that person will catch your energy and start to mirror your energy. And that's, I think, the trick that you have, I don't know, intuitively or consciously, I don't know which, you have developed that skill in the time I've known you. And I said to you once, we were at an airline counter, and you really had fun 
mm. with the person who was taking your case and you were joking with them and you you gave them a really good time and mm. they were laughing and you were very appreciative of what they were doing. And we walked away and I said, you know, you never, you never would have done that years ago. You would have been quite curt in a way that I'm always trying to make people feel comfortable. And, and I would have thought, oh, why are you being curt? Why have you changed that? Do you remember what you said? I don't. You said to me, I just realized it actually takes me very little effort to make somebody else's day so much better. And that person- I'm a hero. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're great, Tom. Um, this is a fantastic story. Um, but that- I'm making you a very good first impression listeners if they don't yeah, already know me. Absolutely. But that took years and it took maturity and it took understanding. You weren't going to get anything out of that. You were just interested in making that person stay better. So you made a great impression on that person. But here's what's important about that. Sometimes I'm with somebody in the corporate world who's grumpy to the taxi driver, uh, ignores the person who's held the door open for them, curt with the receptionist, and then walks into the networking event and goes, hello, 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 it's wonderful to meet me. And I go, huh, there's something off about your performance here. Haven't had any practice. Mm -hmm. Because actually you don't really care about how other people feel. You care about how the people see you only if they're important. So this is a win-win for you because you can practice this all the time while making every waiter's day more fun, making every service person feel more appreciated. And you will genuinely get better at it. Because in that same time, I've seen you be a lot better with clients as well and, and you know, other people that we work with. In, you go into a theatre and you're able to charm the technicians who, you know, to give you a little bit extra or, you know. And I don't mean charm in a manipulative way. I mean genuinely put a good energy into the room, make them feel good, but also then have a better all-round experience for everybody. I think that consistency is what people know is authenticity mm -hmm. because it's not just what you're doing it's why you're doing it and it's the fact that tom's doing it for a righteous reason that we love him for it rather <laughs> mm -hmm. than he's doing it in order to get, get this something. contract yeah mm -hmm. exactly alex it's interesting you use that word authenticity because i hear that word a lot in the corporate world people say oh, you should be your authentic self bring your authentic self to work i mean you can't really bring your whole self to work. When, they, when people say that, they don't really mean it. Um, you, of course, we leave the worst parts of ourselves for those who love us the most, our family. Um, but, uh, but I think what they mean is bring more of your best self to work and more of your fuller self to work. As far as authenticity goes, um, yes, great, but it can be a bit limiting. My authentic self likes to eat cake and lie down. That's who I am. That was who I was as a child. Um, but my best self likes to eat fruit and do yoga. And I find if I just do the things my best self would do for six months, that becomes authentic. Because now, honestly, it is more authentic for me to move than it is for me to be sedentary. I cannot stay sedentary for longer than two, two, three days. I have to move. I have to exercise. So... Yes, be your authentic self, but know that your authentic self can evolve. Change your habits. Feel weird at first in six months. That you behavior of knowing how to make a great first impression on someone because you've figured out what your routine is there or, or what processes you might use to do it, that will become authentic and you won't have to think about it anymore. You'll just do it. I think when people are talking about authenticity, they're often thinking about a narrative about a person and about... 
whether or not they're being tricked yes, or, or there's we're, something we're, fake going on. Yeah, and, or uh, I'm being manipulated or yes, such a sly one. Yeah, yeah. Or that, oh no, that's, that's not what she's really like or he's mm. actually like this. And, and I think really when we're talking about the behavioral dimension of making a first impression, what do I do? What's the, you know, what person is standing at the door? Um, really, I think the question people are asking is not, is this behavior authentic behavior? But they're really asking, is this motive? an authentic motive. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's one of the, the challenges we face at work in that we are being asked to do things. It's part of my job description, not necessarily something I would do outside this salary situation. And so I think people are often on a, on a, sort, of a, a sort of very gentle level, racked with anxiety about this question all of the time, and we'll be returning to it um, through this series mm -hmm. of uh, it's podcasts. A, it's a very important question for the first episode of this podcast though because some people may have tuned in thinking am I going to learn to be a fake because I think for some strange reason people skills we think we cannot develop without being fake so you wouldn't say to your colleague um uh oh she speaks excellent German but she's not German she learned that <laughs> she went to classes you know Completely she inauthentic. Seen the first cake she tried to bake. Oh, <laughs> oh God, good Lord. She's not an authentic baker. She's, she's studied for that or she's tried or she's practiced. We understand yeah. if someone plays the piano, it is not authentic. It is learned and it is practiced. Yeah. But we know the difference when we hear a player who is putting their full self in and their self-expression into the rendition. And when we hear somebody going one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. And so we understand... To get better at something, we might have to go through a phase where we're counting it out. I don't know why we have this strangeness around people skills and self-development skills, presentation skills, things like that, um, because you, we have developed the ones we've got. Most of us were pretty mm. feral when we were three, but we learned through peer group pressure and, oh, don't mm. be like that. You're being, a, you're being a dick. You know, somebody mm. would say that at school and then you kind of figure it out. That if you behave in certain ways, mm. you're going to get bullies to leave you alone, or boys or girls to like you. Um, and I think it's also it's, it, the, 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 the resist, there is, I think, an implicit compliment in bringing energy to an interaction, in looking like you want to be there. You don't have to say, "Oh, I think you're, you look great," or "I'm glad I'm here." It's there in what you're doing, um, and uh, and it's it's there in how your, uh, your 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 curiosity about the people you're engaging with, regardless of where they sit on some kind of putative rank ladder. So, um, your homework for this week, listeners, okay, is about noticing things about the people you're engaging with. Okay, this is about outward consciousness. Um, next time you have an encounter with a stranger, any kind of interaction with a stranger, regardless of whether they are the person you're buying your coffee from or the person you're having a job interview with, um, think about their choices. Think about what they're saying. Okay, think about how, ask yourself how they feel about things, um, not, not the innate things about their age and gender and race and how their status presents to the world, and assume that all of their choices are good choices. And ask yourself, and maybe even ask them, why they're making those choices and have that interaction. Be curious and interested in the people you're talking to. And that will totally transform the first impression you're making on them. One way of looking at it could be, does this person want to be the host or does this person want to be the guest? Yeah, that's brilliant. 
I'm thank you, Alex. Now, now I feel like maybe I'm the guest because I've been told I'm brilliant. Um, but I think that's a useful way for me to look at it because I'm too often the host. And so where, and I think actually, I'm just working something out now live on this podcast listeners, where I make an excellent impression is with people who enjoy being guests, where I overwhelm people or make people feel somehow that I'm the big energy in the room and they've just got to compete or shut up till I leave. I think I am probably with natural hosts. Mm -hmm. So I am going to set myself homework, which is to ask myself, is this taxi driver a host or is she a guest? That's right. The taxi driver was a woman all along. (laughs) Hashtag feminism. Uh, Thank you guys so much for joining me for this week's You Can Talk to Anyone. Um, And uh, let's catch up uh, next week. See you next week. See you next week. You have been listening to You Can Talk to Anyone with Alex McLaren, Tom Selinski, and Deborah Francis-White. The producer for The Spontaneity Shop was Tom Selinski. You Can Talk to Anyone is distributed exclusively by ACAST. <laughs>